to see this morning that the Lord Jesus is the one that cares. We heard from Psalm 103, and in Psalm 103 we hear that it is the Lord who cares. The Lord shows compassion. What we see in Mark chapter 6, that it is indeed the Lord who has compassion, who shows compassion, and it's the Lord Jesus who shows compassion for sheep without a shepherd. Can you imagine it? Perhaps you were taught it in Sunday school. There's Jesus out feeding the 5,000. And often the image I think that we have in our minds is those rolling green hills. It's pretty well a church picnic. Everyone's got their picnic basket out, uh, the checked kind of tablecloths are laid carefully, and there is Jesus feeding the thousands, the five thousands here in Mark chapter 6. That's not quite the picture that we have here as, as Mark records it. Because what we have is Jesus leaving the villages, leaving those populated places and moving to less populated places. This crowd is chasing him. And we see there in verse 31 that Jesus wants to retreat from this crowd. He's not playing to the crowds. He's getting away from them in verse 31 and he wants a quiet place. In fact, it's probably closer that he wants a desolate place, a place where there's not much of anything around. There's not a lot growing. There's not much there. And so Jesus goes to this rural part, this hill district, this remote region. But it's not enough to escape the crowds because these people, these people are hungry. And so incredibly, in verse 34, those that Jesus was seeking to escape from follow him. They find him. Why? They find Jesus because these people are desperate. Uh, It says 5,000 people, 5,000 men. It's probably likely to be the number of men. And so the actual number of people there could be 15,000 to 20,000 people. There it is in this remote area where there's not many people around because that's why Jesus is going. Here comes 20,000 people. 20,000 people seeking after him, finding him. See the way Mark records ordinary people? He records ordinary people as desperate people. Ordinary people as hungry people. Ordinary people who seek after Jesus. Why are they desperate? Well, in one sense, it could be because they're hungry. It's, it's already been alluded to there in verse 31 that they haven't had a chance to eat. They're so, um, so focused on hunting Jesus down that they haven't had time to eat there in verse 31. But as Jesus sees the assembled masses, as he sees these thousands of people, he sees them as desperate. He sees them as people with a problem. But it's not what we often think. Have a look at verse 34. 
When Jesus landed and saw a large, large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. See that phrase? They were sheep without a shepherd. That's their problem. That's why they're desperate in Jesus' mind because they're sheep without a shepherd. That's a very significant phrase. And as we read the Bible, as we see in the Old Testament, the Bible speaks about sheep's, sheep and shepherds. The Bible often uses this pastoral image. And so we have you know, the famous Psalm 23 where the Lord is our shepherd and the shepherd loves and nurtures his sheep and he cares for them. I think that's very much in Mark's view, but that's not where, Mark, where Jesus is quoting from. Jesus quotes not from Psalm 23, but Jesus quotes from a section of the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 27 where Moses says, After me, there's going to come another leader, a leader who will rescue Israel, a leader who will rescue Israel's children, a leader who will be a military, political kind of leader. Moses says in Numbers 27, he says, May the Lord appoint a man over this community, go out and lead them, so the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus sees this crowd, he knows their hunger, but he knows their problem is that they are not led. In fact, worse than that, they are enslaved. They are held captive. They are not free. And so when Jesus says they are sheep without a sheep, it's not simply the absence of, of leadership, it's something that you, there is an aspect of that. It's something worse than that. It's a people who are not yet free. It's a people under tyranny. You see, Jesus knows ultimately what these people are after. We read throughout the Gospel of Mark that there are many people who come to Jesus, people with all types of problems. Here for the crowd, we're alerted to the fact that they're hungry, but they're not just the people who come, not just hungry people come to Jesus. We see in Mark chapter 2, it's the leper who comes to Jesus. And in a beautiful little interaction, Jesus touches the man that no one could touch. Jesus touches the affection-starved man, the leper, and he heals him. And in fact, Mark uses the very same word, that Jesus had compassion. And so he acted in this man's life by healing him. And here, that same word is used as Jesus looks at this crowd as he sees that this crowd is not just hungry, but they are held. They are held captive. He looks at them and he has compassion upon them. And so what does he do? Well, that's what's really interesting about the way Mark records how Jesus interacts with these people. You see, Jesus wants to liberate these people from their oppression. But look what he does. Incredibly, there in verse 34, 
What does Jesus proceed to do? It's not immediately to feed them. It says there in verse 34 that he begins to teach them. He begins, we take it, to teach them about what they need most, about the kind of liberation that he offers. He begins to teach them about the gospel. See, because Jesus is offering that kind of leadership. He's offering the way out. Back in Moses' context, God had used Moses to rescue Israel from Egypt and from Pharaoh's claws, claws of slavery that were right in Israel's back. And God had released them and rescued Israel out of Egypt and was bringing them to the promised land. And just on their way to the promised land, we hear these words. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Even though Moses has been part of rescuing them, Joshua will take them into the promised land. But in one sense, they're still oppressed, even though they're not in Egypt. Jesus looks at these people, and they're hungry. They're ruled by the Romans. There's another tyrant. His name's not Pharaoh. He's not from Egypt. He's from Rome. And he looks at those people and he has compassion. And he teaches them. He teaches them about the kind of liberation that he brings, the kind of freedom that he will give. You know, many people, when they often, you know, uh, freedom fighters set up guerrilla kind of networks, what do they do? They hand out weapons. That's the way revolution comes about, typically, in our world, through the sword or the gun. But here Jesus isn't handing out weapons. He's handing out his word, and he's handing out bread. We see there, if you want to glance your eyes, Back to verse 36, that it's too much for the disciples. They send the people away. It's too big for them. Jesus, it's not too big for Jesus. He, there in verse 40, asks that they sit down in groups, in hundreds and fifties. And he takes the loaves and the fish, and he looks up to heaven and he blesses those loaves and the fish as he provides for this people. See, what Jesus is doing in this scene as Mark paints it is Jesus is offering two things. He's offering his word there in verse 34 as he begins to teach about the kind of freedom that he is offering. And he also begins to feed these people. What do you think of when you hear the word bread? Uh, maybe you think carbohydrates, and that's bad. Gluten, and that's even worse. But in the ancient world, when they heard the word bread, they heard the word life, because that's what you needed daily for life. That was what sustained you. It wasn't uh, the roast lamb. That was far and few between. It was the bread. Bread meant life. Bread meant everyday life 
for ancient people. And so as Jesus hands out this bread, he's handing out a symbol. He's handing out a symbol that no doubt connected with what he was talking about. Talking about people who were trapped, people who were enslaved. And he in himself offers those people freedom. He doesn't just offer them freedom, he offers them life. And that's what this bread, I think, symbolises. Bread is a symbol for life. Many revolutionary leaders deal in death. But Jesus is the kind of leader who deals in life. And Jesus, I think, is saying to these people as he teaches them that he is going to bring life. Because that's what Jesus' word does. Jesus' word brings life. We see that all throughout the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is arguing with the devil. And Jesus says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In another Gospel, in John chapter 6, Jesus said, Do, says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that will endure to, to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven when he fed you with manna in the wilderness, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. See what Jesus is saying? See what the Bible is saying? See what the Gospel is saying? These people come and they come to Jesus, perhaps with all kinds of reasons to come to him, with all kinds of problems. Perhaps it's sickness. For many of them, it's obviously hunger. But that's not what Jesus is primarily here to, to speak about. He's speaking about a deeper kind of hunger. He's speaking about the kind of bread that you don't have to keep eating day after day. He's speaking about a better bread than Moses gave. See what Jesus is getting at in this um, scene that Mark paints for us is that with every single human person, there's something, there's a problem. Uh, it's not disease, and it's not physical hun hunger. There is, in fact, with every single human person, a problem, a hunger, a hunger that can't be satisfied with the best of meals. There was a famous atheist uh, last century who said this. He said that God does not exist, I cannot deny. That God, sorry, that God does not exist, I cannot de deny. That my whole being cries out for God, I cannot forget. See what that atheist philosopher is saying? He's saying, like, I don't believe in God, but there is something deeper through all his thought, reading, research and understanding, he hadn't been able to get to the bottom of this hunger that was within him. And here is Jesus offering this bread. But he's offering it to people who are not just physically hungry, he's offering it to people who are spiritually hunger, hungry. And Jesus comes, and he comes to feed all those who have a deep hunger within them. And he comes 
to feed people like you and me. And so verse 30, 41, he takes those five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. It's interesting. I've always found it curious there in verse 31, 41, you know, why Jesus does that. Is it, is it kind of like he's saying grace, you know, as he's thanking God for the food that he's about to provide? What's, what's interesting this week is I discovered that this phrase in verse 41 is really significant. Literally, it says there in verse 41 that he blessed and broke that bread. He blessed and he broke it. What's interesting is uh, later on in the gospel, in Mark's gospel, Mark, I think, deliberately uses those same two words, blessed and broke. If you want to flip over to Mark chapter 14, verse 22, you see that Jesus is taking this bread, taking this bread in this meal that he's having and demonstrating before his death, and he says, take it. This is my body. The same two words there are used in Mark chapter 14, 22, as in Mark 6, verse 41. I think as Jesus takes this bread, he's pointing to his compassion. He's pointing to the way he's ultimately caring for these people. These people are hungry and Jesus feeds them so that they are full. But Jesus, in feeding them, is pointing them and showing them to a greater reality, one where bread will be blessed and broken, but it will be the bread of his body. We see on the cross that Jesus looks at those that kill him and he, what? He has compassion on them. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In other words, Jesus is blessing those who would even kill him. It's his body. It's the bread of his body that is broken. And so for us as Christian people, we're reminded here, as beautiful as it is, as Jesus teaches about the liberation that he gives to all people, Jesus is pointing to the death and to his ultimate act of compassion and kindness. Because that bread was broken in Mark chapter 6, but on the cross Jesus' body is broken. And when we realise that, we realise that he was broken for us, that it is in fact us who ought to be broken, but Jesus was broken for us instead. Jesus is our substitute. See, you cannot eat a whole loaf of bread, can you? What do you do? You have to divide it into smaller pieces such that it can be eaten. And so Jesus, with this image of broken bread, shows how his body is broken. It is divided. Jesus says elsewhere that he is the bread of life. And what, what he meant by that is that he is the one who has absorbed all the wrong that we have done, our sin, 
and then the judgment that we deserve and the punishment, the just punishment that we should bear for our sin, Jesus takes that. His body is broken for us. And we're saved, as we're reminded in the gospel, not by what we do, but by our trust in him, by what he has done, by the way God has adopted us by grace. And so we as Christian people say, Father, accept me on the basis of what Jesus has done. And you know what the Bible says when we do that? The Bible says that we can know that we are absolutely, totally, unconditionally loved. The reality of the emptiness inside of us is filled with his love when we realise what he has done for us, when we're filled with compassion the way he was filled with compassion for us. And so it means that Jesus is our substitute, but also it means that Jesus is, lastly, our example. He's our example of what it is to live by word and deed. See, the gospel transforms us. It transforms us from the inside out, and so we hear the word of God, and we trust in it. But we also live by it. We live like the Lord Jesus. We live as people who have experienced his compassion and so therefore we're motivated to show compassion for others. And so that's why we as a church want to support the ministry of compassion because it's an opportunity, there are many opportunities for us to live out this reality. But here is one way where we together as a church can live out the reality of what Jesus has done in our lives such that others, perhaps those in Indonesia, might know about that same compassion that Jesus has showed us, that they too might experience it through us. Let's pray that God might continue to deepen our compassion for others as we experience, our compassion, we experience the compassion that he has shown us. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that we would grow in our knowledge of what it is to follow you in word and deed. We thank you, Father, that you fill us. You fill the deepest of all spiritual longing and spiritual hunger. And Father, as you do that, we pray that we might live for the cause of others who do not know what you do and how you have acted in the Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would shape us in the likeness of the Lord Jesus, that we too would be people that offer words of hope, both in act and deed. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.